Glory to Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Last Sunday, I spoke about the Ark of the Covenant and the Ark of the Lord, the Theotokos, and we continue the celebration of the Dormition of the Theotokos, and I want to keep the theme of the Ark In many icons of the Dormition, sadly not on this icon, but there's many little variations, you'll see on some icons of the Dormition, a fellow towards the front, where you maybe see the candlestick on the icon that's out before us, and his hands are grabbing onto the bed or the beer of the Theotokos, but there seems to be a a gap between his hands and the rest of his arms. That is because you'll see in a lot of icons, you'll see next to him, there is an angel and he has a sword. And you can put maybe two and two together or maybe not two and two together, that something has occurred where the angel has appeared and cut the hands off of this fellow. And so you might scratch your head and you start saying, okay, We talk about the Theotokos. We know that she is the Panagia, the All-Holy. So there has to be something to do with the holiness and touching. If we were to go back again to 2 Samuel chapter 6 that we talked about and referenced last week and all the parallels between the Ark and in the early chapters of the Gospel of Luke, we return to that chapter... And we see as the ark, as David wants to bring the ark back to Jerusalem, that along the way, there is an incident. It is the incident of Uzzah, who, as the oxen, because the ark cannot be touched, they put it on, well, they're already doing a few things that they're not supposed to be doing. They put it on a wagon to bring it, which is not the way that they're supposed to transport the ark of the covenant. And it is going along, and there is maybe a dip in the road, something happens, it looks like the ark is going to fall over, and Uzzah puts out his hand to steady the ark, and he is struck down dead. The ark of the covenant was not to be touched. In fact, The Ark of the Covenant, when it is enshrined within the tabernacle or the temple, is behind at least a few veils because it resides within the Holy of Holies. And it's only once a year that the high priest would go into the Ark of the Covenant to sprinkle it with blood. When they transported the Ark of the Covenant, they were to veil the Ark of the Covenant because... That is, as we spoke about last Sunday, between the two angels on top of the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God dwelt. He was with his people, Israel. The Ark of the Covenant echoes Eden and the loss of Adam and Eve because Eden was guarded by an angel with a flaming sword. Eden that garden paradise, that garden temple, the holy of holies where man walked with God. So we have the ark, the presence of God, guarded by angels. 
and carrying with it the depth, the price, maybe more correct word, the weightiness of the holiness and otherness of God, that Uzzah is struck down because he touches the ark. So, of course, in when we see the icon of the Theotokos, and we read the story from the Synoxarian about the funeral of the Theotokos, as she was being carried, there was, as you can imagine, a lot of, and as we see in the New Testament, a lot of uh, confrontations between Christians and Jews. Because the Christians have a pretty radical thing that they're saying. The Messiah has come. Not only has the Messiah come, but uh, we have crucified him, and we need to repent and follow him. Well, this, as you know throughout the book of Acts, as in the ministry of our Lord, doesn't go over so well for some. For some, the scales fall from their eyes, and they see. For others, they're ready to crucify They're ready to, as Paul himself, they're ready to persecute. There was a priest, a Jewish priest, who as the procession of the Theotokos was going to bury her, he in his defiance goes and he was going to tip over the bier of the Theotokos. This is what is captured in the icon. That when he goes to flip her body, which is especially, especially beyond the scope for a Jew to get close to a dead body and to treat a dead body like this. The angel appears and he loses his hands. The story doesn't end there. He is not, he, in his sudden loss, (laughs) wakes up, the scales fall from his eyes as his hands fall, and he realizes, okay, there's something to this. There is holiness here. It only took an angel with a sword to wake me up to this reality. He repents, he's healed, and he becomes a zealous, zealous follower of our Lord. We, brothers and sisters, are called to be temples of God, to be arks, to have residing within us our Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit. St. Paul, this morning at the end of the epistle, he asks, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. God's presence, of course, dwelt within the Holy of Holies between the two angels on the Ark of the Covenant. And it's no wonder at his resurrection that there are angels at the place where his, cloth, his burial cloths lie. We have the holiness of God dwelling within us. There's a lot going on in Corinth. If you were to read 1 Corinthians, you would think that you are reading one of those rags, those magazines in the checkout aisle at uh, the grocery store. 
Every possible thing that you can imagine is happening at Corinth. So, is it any surprise that Paul has to ask these questions? I told you all, you are the temple of God. If there is, for him, division, because this is what happens in the first few chapters of Corinthians, if there's division, I am of Paul, I am of Stephanos, I am of Apollos, I am of this, I am of that person, that sect, the foundation of Christ being overshadowed by sects, little groups, divisions. As we go further into Corinthians, as he sets them up, as he's talking to them, trying to woo them, remind them of who they are, he then says, basically, it's come to my attention that there is something going, among you, going on among you that uh, would even be a little crazy for the Gentiles. But for the people of God, this is out of bounds. There's a man who is having sexual relations with his father's wife. Sexual sin, idolatry, division. These are the things that defile the temple of God. Later in Corinthians, as he is reminding them again and echoing this idea of being the temple of God, he tells them, you defile the temple of God. How, how can you defile the temple of God? As we are made to be the temples of God, because we are to glorify God in our bodies. The Holy Spirit is not or Jesus Christ is not just an idea. This is not something that we just think about. He dwells within us. This especially, as we continue going through 1 Corinthians, this especially is made very abundantly evident when Paul starts talking about Holy Communion and the Eucharist. He talks about the division that is amongst the church, but he also talks about individuals and them coming to receive Holy Communion. I'll read directly from Paul here. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Uzzah did not discern the ark. The Jewish priest who ran forward to flip the Theotokos off of her beer, her vessel taking her to her burial, did not discern the ark of the Lord, the body of the Theotokos. We who come to Holy Communion without discernment, without examining ourselves and what the state of the temple that God has built us to be, Paul is clear that we eat and drink judgment. Now this sounds hefty. This has some weight. We're thinking and hearing of us a dying, a man losing his hands. We're hearing of judgment. But Paul tells us 
When we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Before we shut the doors and veil, we say holy things are for the holy. We are, in coming to receive Holy Communion, called to remember who God is, what he has done for us, and who we are, and where we stand in relationship to that sacrifice, to that presence, to God. This is the medicine of immortality. This is what creates us into temples of God, the sacraments of the church, especially the Holy Eucharist. For in preparation for Holy Communion, discernment, self-examination is required. For when we are calling down the Holy Spirit to come down to transform the bread and the wine into the body and blood, we're asking the Holy Spirit to come down upon us and upon these gifts here offered. For as our Lord sacrificed himself and so gives us of the fruits of that sacrifice, his body, his blood, we too are to receive the Holy Spirit to cleanse us, to encourage, to enliven, to empower us to do the same thing that our Lord has done, to die to ourselves, to die to our sins, and to be alive to our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ. We pray this before every communion. In the pre-communion prayers that we say here on the Ambo as the gifts are put before us, may the communion of thy holy mysteries be neither to my judgment nor to my condemnation, O Lord, but into the healing of soul and body. So, practically, what can we do? Well, this is an encouragement, a reminder, a renewal of preparation for the approach to the holy. That we are to be preparing ourselves for the reception of Holy Communion. We need to be throughout the week. If we struggle in prayer, in attention, in silence, in church, it is more often than not because we have not been praying, struggling, seeking the Lord in the silence of our heart throughout the week. So no wonder we come for the two-hour sacrifice of Sunday morning and we can't find the Lord. We need to be at peace with others. For if we are coming to the sacrifice and there is something not right with others, we need to correct it. We need in our prayer and fasting to be struggling towards the Lord. And it is that prayer and fasting and self-examination that we are able then to come and confess our sins. As confession is one of the sacraments of the church. Confession as a sacrament of examination, of, as the fathers will say, a renewal of our baptism with the second baptism of our tears. That whatever stoniness 
whatever weeds, whatever thorns have come and crept into our hearts, we look at them, honestly assess them, speak truthfully before God in the sacrament of confession, seek guidance for these things, maybe receive a penance or something as a way to renew, to freshen, to give us direction in our repentance and receive absolution so that we may come forward to receive Holy Communion knowing that we have discerned that we will not be judged but that we have been chastened by the Lord so that we may not be condemned with the world as Paul says to the Corinthians. There also is the preparation for Holy Communion in coming to the Vesper service the night before and also in the pre-communion prayers that the church has given to us for us to prepare ourselves. The prophet Isaiah, when he encountered God upon his throne, he cried out, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. This vision, this revelation in the temple causes Isaiah to step back to examine himself. Then one of the seraphim, one of the angels that flies around the Lord, having a live coal in his hand, took with tongs from the altar, lays it on Isaiah's mouth, and says, Lo, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. We receive the coal of fire. We receive the fire of our Lord who dwelt within the ark, the burning bush, the mother of God. We receive him into ourselves. It is no wonder that the priest, after communing all of the faithful, says, Lo, this has touched your lips and shall cleanse you of all your iniquities. Isaiah, in being cleansed, that's not the end of the story. For all of this preparation, this discernment, is then here after the communion with our Lord, the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And us, or Isaiah, saying, Here am I, send me. And the Lord says, Go and tell. Go and preach. Go and serve the Lord in all that you meet. May God give us the eyes the heart, the memory to discern him in the holy gifts, to prepare our hearts, and then after receiving him in humility and contrition of heart, to churn into the world, to set it afire, to set it ablaze with the presence of the Holy Spirit. For brothers and sisters, you are the temple of God. You are holy because he is holy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.